Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. As you remember from last week, we talked about the seven feasts, and specifically one in particular. And this morning, I want us to focus on an additional one. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, this morning we'll be in verses 26 through 32. And like I said, God instituted a series of seven feasts for, or festivals as we call them, that the people of Israel were to faithfully observe every year. And each of those observances have great significance in the Jewish faith and practice. But like many things in the Old Testament, each of the seven feasts also prophetically point to Jesus. All of them point prophetically to Jesus. Um, There are four spring festivals which have already been fulfilled by Jesus during his first coming. The feast of Passover was fulfilled by Jesus' sacrificial death as our Passover lamb. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was fulfilled by his burial. The Feast of Firstfruits was fulfilled by his resurrection. And the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was fulfilled by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then there is that four-month gap, like I talked about last week. And after those spring feasts are concluded until the fall Uh, feast season begins. A large gap of time, which represents the church age, again, what was mentioned last week, the church age in which we are living in right now. And during this time, God is bringing salvation to the Gentiles. He's bringing salvation to you and I, to you and I. Then, In that time that the Lord alone has determined, the final three feasts, the three fall feasts, will commence. And just as the four spring feasts were perfectly and completely fulfilled by Jesus in every detail in his first coming, I'm anticipating that Jesus will also perfectly and completely fulfill each of the details of the three fall feasts in his second coming. Now, having said that, we also looked at the first of the fall feasts last time, the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, and we made a case for how this feast is likely to be fulfilled with the rapture of the church. We also learned that the Feast of Trumpets started a 10-day period known as the days of awe, and during the days of awe, which I believe correspond with the seven-year tribulation period, the people are given one last chance to repent and to turn their hearts to God before their eternal fate would be sealed at the end of that time. On the Day of Atonement, which is where we're going to be this morning, It is the feast 
about the days of awe as they come to their conclusion. So it's also known as, most of you probably know this, Yom Kippur. Okay? If you have ever been in an adult Bible study class, I'm sure that you have gotten into a lot of detail related to the most sacred and solemn day in the entire Jewish calendar. And if you haven't, you really should join one of our Sunday morning Bible study classes. Dave's got a class. Stanley's got a class. There are classes everywhere for you to get involved. So join one. Ben, didn't I tell you to go to class today? Where were you, Ben? He was in class. (laughs) Good. See, it works. But my goal this morning is to show you how the Day of Atonement is all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The Day of Atonement is all about Jesus. And to give us some insight into how Yom Kippur points towards Jesus' second coming. So like I said, you're in the Leviticus 23, and we're going to start reading in verse 26. It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. And on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall be your Sabbath. The question this morning will be this. When is a feast, like we've talked about, when is a feast not a feast? When is a feast not a feast? Now, probably the first thing to note here about this particular feast is that it's not really a feast. It's a fast. It is a fast. And this is such a serious and solemn and sacred day. And on this day, the high priest must follow the Lord's instructions precisely. Otherwise, what happens? He dies. He has to follow it to a T. There is no room for error here. And typically, the high priest would seclude himself during this week, leading up to the Day of Atonement, to do and to review and to do everything he can to do exactly what the Lord has called him to do. So, reviewing every move, every action, every word that he was to observe, preparing his heart and mind through prayer and repentance. Now... This is similar to what a pastor would do during the week. They review what they're going to preach. They call upon God to teach them what they're going to say. And inevitably, when we get up here, it all goes out the window. But 
honestly, I can stand here confidently in the pulpit knowing that God's not going to strike me dead. I hope not. He's not going to strike me dead where I'm at today if I make a mistake. And I've already made a few. I guarantee you that. Okay? But I'm confident in knowing that. But here, they're talking about if he made one little mistake, the priest would die. This is how serious, this is how solemn this particular event was. And on this day on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the sins of the people must be atoned for. So we can see the seriousness of this situation. This was their time to make things right with God. The sins of the people must be atoned for. But what does the word atonement actually mean? What does atonement actually mean? And why was atonement necessary? Now, to make atonement is to cover over iniquity. Atonement results in forgiveness and the removal of sin. In cleansing from impurity, in taking something that God considers to be unclean and making it clean. To consecrate or devote or set apart for the worship or service to God. Now this has always been the key problem ever since the first sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. How can a holy and perfect and righteous God have fellowship with sinful, impure, and rebellious persons such as Adam and Eve, such as you and I? How is it possible? How can we have forgiveness of sin instead of receiving the penalty and outpouring of wrath that we so rightly deserve? How is this possible? How can we be made clean? How can we be cleansed from our impurity before him? How can we possibly ever become a useful and beautiful instrument of worship and service consecrated to the Lord while we all continue to struggle with sin and our sin nature? The answer to all these questions is atonement. Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 provides a detailed explanation of how to observe the day of atonement. So you can turn there now. Leviticus 16. So go to the left a few pages. Looking at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. Leviticus 16 verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses... After the death of two of Aaron's sons, when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die. Because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. You need to have a little background here. You see, God provided a very detailed, uh, explicit instruction 
And he gave it to Moses on how to construct the tabernacle and how to construct all the components and tools of worship used in the tabernacle. Okay? Hebrews 8.5, these serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Having said all that, having the reference, having the background, what does this really do? This all points to Jesus. This is pointing us in the direction of Jesus. From the gate and the curtain covering the gate. To the brazen altar where the fire that must never be extinguished. God's judgment being satisfied by the blood of the sacrifice. Through the next veil into the holy place where we see the light of Christ in the golden candlestick. Our fellowship with our Father, represented by the table of the showbread. A fellowship only made possible through Jesus Christ. To the altar of incense burning night and day with the intercessory prayers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit praying for us. Since we know we ought to pray as we ought to. This is a call to have commune with Christ. He seeks to have relationship with us. To the Ark of Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, made of acacia wood and covered inside and out with pure gold. This symbolized Jesus, who is 100% human and 100% God. Containing the tablets of the law and an omer of manna, all Pointing to Jesus. With the ark covered with a lid known as the mercy seat. Or what we call the atonement cover. This is where the blood would cover or atone for the sins of the people. This is where the perfect blood of Jesus once and forevermore covered and atoned for the sins of the world. This is where the high priest must go, but only on the day of atonement. To enter this place and to be in God's presence, you had to do it God's way or you would die. So there is seriousness brought to this. And it's seriousness that we need to take seriously. Ten days after the Feast of Trumpets, the high priest would follow God's rules on how to make atonement for the people on the Day of Atonement. And it's difficult to put into words how important, how sacred, and how solemn a day this is. We can say these things in words and you can have a pretty good idea. But for those living in that time and those participating in this Feast of Atonement, it, it was beyond measure of words of what was actually taking place. And like I said in Leviticus chapter 16, if you go a little further in verse 29, it says this. This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work. Both the native and the alien who resides among you. God's law is for everyone. Amen. God's law is for everyone. 
Other translations use the phrase, afflict yourselves for the people. This is a day of fasting, meaning absolutely no work. This is a yearly Sabbath where the people were to deny themselves and to humble themselves before the Lord and pray that the Lord would accept their atoning sacrifice and have mercy upon them for the upcoming year. So, the first thing the high priest must do is bathe and then dress in a simple linen tunic and undergarments. And with a linen sash tied around himself and a linen turban covering his head, in verse 4, God says, these are holy garments. He then is to bring a young bull, a ram, and two goats to the tabernacle. You might be saying, okay, this is a detailed description of how they did it. But, Pastor, we're not living in Old Testament times. You're absolutely correct. But this still applies to us. We must make atonement for our sins. That means we must repent. We must make things right in our relationship to God. Before the high priest can atone for the sins of the people, he must receive an atonement for himself and his family. What, that, what does that tell me? That tells me that we need to help ourselves before we can help others, right? right. We need to make things right with ourselves before we can help others. Because I, know about, I don't know about you, but even before I was a strong believer, and I thought I knew what I knew, and I tried to help someone when clearly I needed to help myself first, it didn't go very well. It did not go very well. So he's telling us we need to take care of ourselves and then we can help others. And so he presents that bull as a sin offering before the Lord and then he slaughters it. Now he's going to come back to the dead bull in a few minutes, but first he must take burning coals from the altar and two handfuls of finely ground incense. He then goes beyond that and the outer court and into the holy place, which is lit only by the light from a golden candlestick. And then he carefully, he, he passes beyond the altar of incense and through the veil into the holy of holies. He places the censer full of burning coals just inside the veil. The soft glow from the coals being the only light. And then he places the incense of the burning coals, which completely fills the Holy of Holies with a cloud of fragrant smoke. Verse 13 goes on to say that he is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat that is over the testimony, or else he will die. So as long as he survives his initial entry behind the veil, the high priest will then go back out to the bull that was slaughtered and collect some of its blood and return again to the Holy of Holies. Verse 14, he is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. Just like we talked about before with the spring festivals, everything is very detail-oriented. 
And I know it's detail-oriented because I see a lot of you with your eyes closed. It is not the most interesting thing in the world and it's not going to put a pep in our step this morning. I understand that. But understand this. The, significant, the significance behind this should fire us up. Because it is something that applies to every single one of us in this room. We must make atonement for sin. Once he sprinkles the blood of the bull as instructed, his personal sins and those of his family are now atoned for. And those of his family are now atoned for. And he is now consecrated to perform the remainder of the ceremony on behalf of the people. But if you look in Hebrews chapter 7, we see a much better high priest. Verses 26 through 28. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First for their own sins, then for all of those people. He did this once for all. And then... When the time came, he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. The high priest then goes back to the outer court and takes the two goats and places them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting or the tent containing the holy place and the holy of holies. He then casts lots to, to choose one goat for the Lord, which then will be sacrificed. He then takes the blood of that goat and brings it inside the veil into the holy of holies and sprinkles the blood the same as he did with the bull's blood. He then sprinkles that blood on the tent of meeting and the horns of the altar, making atonement or consecrating or cleansing for those impurities of the people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Hebrews chapter 9. And then something amazing happens with the second goat. So let's read that in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. It says, When he has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts. In other words, all of their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all the iniquities into the desolate land. And the man will release it there. The sins of the people were placed upon this, what we would call a scapegoat. That's where we get the word. Okay? Learn something new every day, right? Amen. 
the sins of the people were placed upon this scapegoat. And that goat was taken outside of the camp and taken deep in the uninhabitable places of the wilderness. And then it was abandoned. Isn't that what God calls us to do with our sin? To take it, to understand it, and realize that we're helpless to it. And then we allow God to step in and intervene. And he says, I've got this, Chris. Or I've got this, whoever you are. And I want you to cast it away into the wilderness. And understand that they have already been atoned for. We've had the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We no longer need the bulls. We no longer need the goats. But we had the lamb. We had the Lamb of God sacrificed for us Amen. so that we could receive that atonement. Because of Jesus, we no longer need, again, the blood of the bulls or the goats every year to cover our sin and make us righteous in the eyes of God. Jesus' death on the cross made atonement for our sins. And that comes in the fulfillment in Jesus Christ's second coming. So how will the day of atonement be fulfilled during Jesus' second coming? If he's already fulfilled so many of the details of the day of atonement in his first coming, you may ask. When Jesus returns, he is coming back to finish what he started. And just as it was appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Yes. Who are waiting for him. There is one last element of the Day of Atonement that I need to point out, and it's in Leviticus 25. You see, the Lord gives instruction that every seventh year would be a Sabbath year to the Lord where the land would remain fallow. And then in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10, God says you are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, and you will sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. You are to consecrate the fifteenth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all of its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. We talked a little bit last week about the shofar. The, the shofar was used on the day of atonement to announce the year of Jubilee, to let people know when all the slaves were freed, all the debts were forgiven, and all of the lands returned to the original owners. Everything gets set back to the way that it was in the beginning. The problem is that everyone has lost track over the centuries of when exactly the Jubilee years actually fall. And there are plenty of debates and lots of opinions, of course, but nobody really knows for sure anymore. 
And as a result, the Jewish people now blow that shofar every year at the end of the Day of Atonement, just in case that year happens to be a jubilee year. Now, had that happened back in the Old Testament, we know that they would have died because it wasn't exactly to the detail of what God had intended for that. That's why I can stand here and I could probably say something that's not exactly true and I don't get struck dead from where I stand. Some of you might come up and say otherwise, but that's okay. That's okay. God allows us to make mistakes. He doesn't like them and it makes him Seek relationship with us more. And we should do the same. In rabbinical teaching, the day of atonement is considered to be the day on which God's individual judgment on each person is sealed once and for all. The Yom Kippur services end with a ceremony which pictures uh, the closing of the gates of heaven. The part of the service ends with a final blast of that shofar, which indicates that the opportunity for repentance has now passed, and each person's judgment has been sealed. If that shofar were to be blown today, where would you stand? And like the title of today's sermon, is your name written in that book? Have you made atonement for your sin? Have you allowed God to take those impurities in your life and turn them into teaching tools for you so that you can also share that with others, especially those who are desperately seeking Christ? Are we doing our due diligence as Christians to make sure that we're informed and that we understand what we're supposed to understand so that we can teach others and not rely so heavily upon the ritualistic practices that we do. What he's basically saying here is don't be so religious. Understand that religion is not what saves you. It's your relationship to Christ. It's what you know of Christ and obviously what Christ knows of us. That makes the difference. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me from whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. And then Matthew 24, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation chapter 1, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. There is a day coming. At the conclusion, at the Day of Atonement, 
and the trumpet or the shofar will sound. And it will be the year of Jubilee. And those of us who are already in Christ, our salvation will be completed when Jesus returns. Amen. This time as a conquering king. Yes. Amen. And when that shofar sounds for, the, for real, <laughs> this time it really will mean that the opportunity for repentance has ended and each person's judgment has been sealed. And like it said, there will be great mourning. There will be great mourning. Will you be mourning that day? Or will you join Jesus in the clouds, in jubilee, in celebration, knowing that you made atonement for sin. And not only that, you went beyond that and said, I'm going to share this with someone else. I'm going to give them the opportunity to know Christ and what he has in store for them. We all have an opportunity. And I know that as we sit here, we can talk about our testimony. We can talk about the opportunities that we've had to share Christ. But we also have those stories where we know we didn't do what we should have done. We had an opportunity to share Christ. We didn't do so for a myriad of reasons. But that day of atonement is coming to an end. And when that trumpet sounds, will you have a sense of accomplishment knowing that you sacrificed all for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or do we sit back and just hope that that horn doesn't sound one more day? Friends, if you do not know where you stand in your relationship to Christ, do not leave these doors today without knowing for sure. Know for sure. Revelation 19, let us be glad. Let us rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of all the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus, worshiping God, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings 
Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God. Jesus is coming again. He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Sinners, will it be our decision to remain in our sin and reject the atoning work of Jesus Christ? Or will we take this time, even right now, to repent and turn our hearts towards God, to seek Him and His forgiveness today? Amen. And today, while we can still be found. Jesus himself has these words for you in Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Amen. Is your name written? Is your name written? I pray that your name is written in the book of life before that last trumpet sounds. Amen. Amen. Dave, come finish today. We say this a lot, but you can know, well, the Lord says it, that you can know for certain that you have eternal life. You don't have to wish for it. You don't have to hope for it. And this morning, just as Tucker was baptized, maybe you're wanting to follow through with that as well. You've never stepped out and followed through with baptism. It could very well be also that you want to let it be known that You've made a decision to follow Christ and to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead to pay the penalty for sins and to purchase a place for us in heaven that he offers as a free gift. We're asking that as we sing this song together, if this be your day, to let it be known of a decision, maybe to join the church, I don't know, whatever God's leading, maybe to come and pray. We serve a holy God. At the end of everything, we have a holy God, and He's worth praising. Come as we sing. You are a holy God, and all-consuming fire. Your own in majesty bright shining as the sun your ways are not our ways your thoughts are high above you are the fountain
Him. And we're going to cry holy before our living God.
I'm so grateful that we have a place where we serve freely. I'm so grateful that I have the church family that I do and that we serve together and we honor God together. Before we leave today, we're going to honor Tucker and his decision through baptism. But even before that, we honor God and what he does in our lives. These are dark times, and we will traverse through things that are not pleasant. But we have a God that fulfills his promises. We have a God that watches over us. And we have a God that does not break those covenants with us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to honor Tucker. Well, you got something for me? Hold still. Okay. Those of you noticed during the service, Ed was taken out for a particular reason. Just know that he is okay and is joking at the moment. So in case you were worried about that, but we'll, we'll lift him up in prayer as well. So let's pray, and then you guys come on up and uh, welcome Tucker into the fold of, through baptism, right? And honoring Jesus in all this today. Heavenly Father, thank you again this morning for your word, for your promise. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be lights in a time of darkness. Thank you that you love us so much that you paid the ultimate sacrifice. So when that day comes and when that final trumpet sounds, we can join you in glory. Thank you for our time here today. Thank you for the decisions that were made here today. We love you and we honor you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. Fathers, happy Father's Day. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.